I don't know if you know what you just experienced, but in the last 12 minutes and I think 54 seconds, we walked you through the whole theme of this book called the Bible. I don't know if you noticed it, but, you know, we're going to talk about this for five weeks and next week, especially uh, as we get into the Old Testament, you're going to see there's this, there's this theme. It's a narrative. It's a story that begins with God's original design called creation. Do you remember that part? That's where we started. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God created man and woman. Here's his dream. Here's his design. But something went terribly wrong. It's called the fall. If you know theology, you go from creation to fall, evil is a part of our world. Is a part In the garden, it's still a part of our world. And yet God, even in the garden, foreshadowed something he was going to do about evil. It's called redemption through Jesus Christ. That's why when you hear a name like what we just heard, sometimes it's hard to sit when that name is being proclaimed because he is the answer to evil, and he is Jesus, the most powerful, wonderful name in the entire universe. So that's why some people stand up. It's like, I just have to respond to that because it's like creation, evil. There's something done about it. And then there's coming, what's called consummation. So that's the four-part part of the Bible. And some of you, like me, it's like the Bible is something I heard in church growing up. I never understood it. There's, a, there's actually a story, yeah, in every page of the Bible, 66 books, 1,600 years it took to wrote, write 40 different authors in different places and moods and prison and in deserts and in palaces. People wrote this. It has one theme all from beginning to end. Controversial topics all throughout, one answer through the whole thing, and it's all creation, fall, redemption, consummation. We'll talk about that uh, more in the second week of the series, but I tell you what, you just sort of ex- experienced that. And so today we get to start with week one, like, okay, what is this book and what's it for? And I think this, I really do. I wrote this series. I'm really excited about it because I thought a lot of people are like me. They're intimidated by it. It's confusing. There's all these books. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to end. None of it makes sense. I grew up in church. Never once do I remember a sermon that made any sense. Anybody with me? I mean, it's like, what was that about? I read this thing. It's like, what is a Hezekiah? I don't know what is it. It's like it made no sense. And you, want, you don't want to be intimidated by this. You want to be able to pick it up at the end of the series and go, I know what's in here. And I'm not afraid anymore, and it doesn't really contradict itself. I have answers, and I want to go through this thing. So we're going we're to talk about this book. I heard a story years ago. It's sort of funny about this. woman got on a plane. She's a single woman. She sat by the window, and there's one seat beside her, and nobody's sitting there. She's sort of like, good. I get to take a flight, and I don't have to talk to anybody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, I don't want anybody to sit there. And she thought nobody's going to sit there. And right before they close the, the door of the plane, a guy comes on. And he sits down, and she can tell he's, like, checking her out to see if she's single or not because he's looking, like, at her finger, at her left hand. And she was single, and he was single, and he starts flirting with her and talking to her and just hitting on her, and she's not interested. And she's trying to sort of send that vibe. You know what that is? Like, I don't want to talk. I'm not interested. He wasn't getting the vibe. She's like, how can I get this guy to shut up? So here's what she did. She goes, oh, I know. She reaches in her briefcase. She pulls out her Bible. She drops it on the dinner tray. Like, this will shut him up. So it's laying there, you know, right beside him. And he looks over and he goes, is that your Bible? She goes, yeah. So that's your Bible. Yeah. Do you read it? Yeah, I read it. You read it very often? I read it every day. And he's like, you read that book every single day, every single day. And he's like, you believe the stuff in there? She goes, I believe everything in there. He's like, come on, like... Adam and Eve and Noah, and how about that Jonah guy, that, Joe, that dude that was swallowed by a fish? And came, I mean, you believe that stuff. She goes, I believe every one of it. You believe that that's true? She goes, yeah. In fact, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah all about that story. And he thought it'd be coy, and he goes, well, what if he's not there? 
And she goes, well, then you ask him. <laughs> That's a joke, okay? So, but here's the thing. For the next five weeks, guess what we're going to do? We're going to place this right there on the dinner tray, and we're going to say, let's investigate this thing, and let's find out what's in there. Are you in for it? Yeah, I think by the end of this thing, you're going to sort of have a mini seminary degree on, on the Bible, because today we're going to look at what's really the purpose. Next week, we're going to be looking at, okay, let's do an overview of the Old Testament, 39 books in 39 minutes. Impossible to do. The week after that, we're going to look at the New Testament, 27 books in 39 minutes. <laughs> and then the next week, oh, the fourth week, do not miss. The fourth week is this. How do you interpret the thing? Have you ever found anybody take Scripture and interpret it wrong? All the time, right? So is there a way to know what it really says? Yes, and we got to understand what hermeneutics means and be students of how to interpret Scripture uh, correctly. And then the final week is going to be a week of stories. People are going to just tell stories of how the Word of God has literally transformed their life. So let me pray. Father God, I pray that you would, you would speak through your Son, Jesus, through your Spirit, and especially today through your written Word, the Word of God. So we invite you to speak to us and change us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to fly pretty quick. I don't know. By the way, I'm Dave Wilson. I don't know if you know who I am. I'm usually, I'm one of the founding guys. I was usually over at Orion, but I'm so excited to be over here today, although it's a long way from Rochester Hills. I got on my motorcycle at 6.30 in the morning. It wouldn't start. I found out there's a keypad you can type in to get my thing to start, so I hope I can ride home. But anyway, I rode over here freezing on the way over, and I'm glad I'm here to talk to you about the Bible. So here's the thing. As you know, there's a lot of people who don't believe in the Bible is the Word of God. I don't know if you know that, but 72% of nuns, N-O-N-E, do you know what a nun is? This is a big part of our culture now. A nun is a person that on a religious survey checks none of the above when they ask, what's your religious affiliation? N-O-N-E, none. I have no religious affiliation. 50 years ago, there were hardly any nuns. Now there's a whole bunch. I'm not talking about Catholic nuns, by the way, but there's a whole bunch of nuns. And 72% of them say this book is a book, but it's not the word of God. In fact, here's what they say. It's got harmful things in it, and people that believe it are extremists, and they're scary. You ever thought that? That's what people think about people like us in the church that might believe this is the word of God. And so we got to say, okay, what is in this? And just so you know, and many of you know this, but when we started Kensington, we decided on some beliefs that we we're going to hold to. And it's 30 years later, and we still believe these with everything we have. You go to our website, you'll see this. I just pulled it off a screenshot of our website about the Bible. This is what we believe at Kensington about the Bible. The Bible, both Old and New Testaments, is the Word of God, written by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what God wanted to communicate to us. That, to some people, sounds crazy. Unless it's true. And I don't have time. It's a, this is a six-month seminary class. But in the next 27 minutes and 50 seconds... I'm going to try and convince you of a couple reasons why I believe it's true. Because here's the thing. We decided day one of Kensington is still true 30 years later. Every message ever given at any Kensington event, whether it's a Sunday service or a small group or a midweek or, or a Bible study, you name it, is going to be founded on this book. It's going to be based on this book. Scripture will be taught. Why? Because we believe it's the Word of God. Now, why in the world would we, we, we believe that? Here's three thoughts, just three simple thoughts on the Bible. First one is this, God's word is reliable and it brings truth. 
God's word is reliable. You can trust what's in there. I'm going to show you that in a second. And it actually is truth. And here's one of the reasons we believe that. One of the first reasons is his scripture itself makes that claim. I don't know if you know this, but if you go to the New Testament, and again, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about the New Testament. It says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I could spend the day talking about what it's useful for, teaching, rebuking, correcting. I'm not going to. I'm going to talk about this first part. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, when, when Timothy wrote this, he was talking about the Old Testament because that was the Scripture that was available then. But he's saying all of it, not just certain parts of it that you like or certain parts that you don't want. He says all Scripture is, the word originally was inspired. Maybe if you grew up in church, you heard that, all Scripture is inspired. Uh, recently, we translate that to the word in the Greek, Koine Greek, is written in Koine Greek. It's a very specific dialect of Greek. Tells you this. It's very visual as well. It's like, no, the word of God is actually like God breathed. And so if you're anything like me, which means I always ask questions, what's that mean? And by the way, you should always ask questions about the Bible. It's good to ask questions. I'm the guy that doubts things. It's okay to doubt. God can handle our doubts. So bring your doubts. God's not like, oh, you're a sinner and going to hell. If you ever have a doubt or you have a question, no, ask those questions. What does it mean God breathed? Here's what it means. It's a beautiful picture. It's like Timothy was saying, all scripture is like this, breath of God. God breathed it, and there it is. I remember one guy came up to me at Orient Campus years ago when I was talking about that, that concept. He goes, I grew up in the Mennonite church. When they would open the Bible, they would say, open the breath of God. And I was like, that's pretty cool. That really is pretty cool. Now, I've got hundreds of the breaths of God in my house. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I've got the Bible all over my house. Maybe you do as well. In fact, this one I, I picked up this morning. I thought of all Bibles to bring, I'm going to bring this one to Clinton because I don't think you've ever seen this one. This is the Bible. It's all taped together. It's got a big thing to hold it together. This is the Bible I proposed to my wife, Ann, 40 years ago with. We were driving to a conference. We weren't engaged yet, uh, and I wanted to get engaged that day. And so I said this to her, and I had this Bible sitting behind my driver's seat. And I said to Ann, I said, hey, what do you think the Bible means when it says a man and woman will lead father and mother and cleave to one another and be naked? I like the naked part. Be one flesh. You know, I said, what do you think that means? And she goes, I knew she was going to say this. She goes, I'm not really sure. And I go, you know what? My Bible's behind my seat. Grab it. It's in Mark 10. Turn to that and let's, let's study that. She turns to Mark 10 and I had put the, my, her wedding ring. Huh? I cut it out. Huh? Am I the most romantic guy in the world? Go ahead. Yes, I am. If you need an idea, guys, there you go. You can, you can copy it. So this thing is uh, falling apart in all different parts, but it's a Bible we'll never forget. And it's like, okay, so why is the Bible the center of our relationship? Because it's the Word of God. Now, here's what's interesting. It's a visual that says, but he didn't do it like that. He didn't just go, and there it was. You and I know men wrote it down. In fact, some of men trans, uh, transcribed it to another person, like write this down. They dictated it, and they wrote letters to churches, and they ended up in the canon of Scripture. By the way, those were councils that voted on what books got in, the 66 books, according to a grid, and there were arguments and there were the debates about this has to be the Word of God or it doesn't get in this, in this text. And so if you go to Second Peter, you find out, okay, here's how it actually happened, the process it says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. What's he saying? This wasn't man's idea. He said, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what's that mean? And again, I've been through seminary and I debated all this stuff. I was like, how can you believe this is the perfect, inerrant word of God? That's what we believe, without error. Yet it was written by imperfect, sinful men. 
The same way I can believe that a virgin Mary produced the perfect son of God. The son of God comes through a woman who's human and DNA just like you and me and produce the same thing. God could use men who were sinful to write a word that they didn't even realize would become the word of God because he breathed it in a unique process, not through their thoughts, but God placed those thoughts in there. So when I read this text, it's like, whoa. Because people will say, I was inspired to write this song. It's not the same thing as saying the Bible's inspired. A song that's inspired is a beautiful song, and it may touch you and me in a deep way, but when you say the word of God is the inspired word of God, you're going like this. Everything else is this. You understand what I'm saying? It's this. Some of you know this. In the Old Testament, when the word of God was read publicly, what'd they do? They stood up. I'm not going to make you do that today. They stood up. Whenever the scroll was unscribed, they're like, we are showing honor to the word of God. It's not a word. It's God's breath. And so they would stand up in reverence and awe. That's why there are times when I'm singing worship songs, I can't sit. It's honor. It's no different than what's going to happen today when the Lions beat the Chiefs. Right? Every touchdown they score, people aren't going to sit and go, oh, that was nice. They're going to be like, yeah! Why? Because they're ascribing worth to something that's happened in front of them that they believe strongly is important to them. And when I hear the word Jesus is a powerful name, I can't sit. When I read the word of God, there's times I just want to jump up because it's that reverend. I was in Afghanistan a few years ago. Some of you saw the video. We went over there and we partnered with a ministry that was taking Bibles, 150 Bibles a day into the Afghan mountains. And you can't take them in there without a fear of your life because they do not want the word of God in a Muslim country. And so they go undercover darkness and they get fragments sometimes and they get the word of God into people that are interested. They hand them Bibles and God's doing amazing things, salvation, baptisms all over Afghanistan. And we're partners with them. So we want to create a video so you could see what we're doing. So some of you might remember this video. We couldn't even go into the, the mountains. We went into Dubai and we brought some of the soldiers that were doing this to our room which was under the cover. Nobody could know where we were because we could get killed or they could get killed for it. So they'd sneak them in. They'd get in the room. we get to know them. We had translator and we shot a video. And some of you saw it and you'll never see it again because we couldn't even put it on the internet because they could find out who these people are and kill them. And two of the people we interviewed are dead now since three years ago. That's how, how scary it is. And they're dead because they're bringing this word, which they know is the word of God into their country and they don't want it. And I'll never forget, we're getting ready to shoot this video. This one guy, and he's a wonderful guy, and he sat down, and his Bible in his, trans, in his uh, language was sitting right in front of him on this table, and we needed, I don't know why we didn't want it in the, sh- in the shoot, and so I just picked it up, and I just moved it like that out of, the, out of the way. I didn't think anything of it. But before we would shoot, and he didn't say a word to me, he just went over, he gently picked up his Bible, I saw him kiss it, and he put it on a table, Sort of like that. He was so gracious not to say anything to me. But when I saw him do that, I was like, oh, wow. He understands what I just flippantly threw away. To him is the word, not a word, the word of God. And it reminded me how flippant we can be. I've got hundreds of these in my house. I give them away all the time. I have for 40 years of ministry. It's on my phone. If you don't have you version, Y-O-U version on your phone, get it today. It's the Bible with you every second. It's on my iPad. It's everywhere, and it's easy to take it for granted. But here's the thing. I said the Bible is reliable, and it brings truth. Is it reliable? 
See, I'm the guy that always is a skeptic. And so when I first picked this up in college, I'm like, there's no way what we're holding in our hand today is even close to what they wrote down thousands of years ago. So we can't trust this as the inerrant word of God without error. Come on. And then I did my homework. And if you're like me, you're thinking, dude, I, you know, it, it might be a good book, but it's not really what was written. Do your homework. Don't be a skeptic without doing the homework. Do the research. And I don't have time to get into this as a six-week series, but here's a six-week study. But here's what I'll tell you real quick. And some of you saw this on Easter. I think 2013, we, we showed you this graph. But when you test any works of antiquity, ancient literature, there's a test that all scholars use. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. It's called the bibliographical test. Anybody heard of that? It's basically this. How many copies do we have of the original? The more, the better. How close in date are the copies dated to when it was originally written? That's the test. The more you have, the closer to the original, the more reliable it is. And it's amazing when you take that test and apply it to the Old Testament and New Testament. I'll show you a graph that we showed you uh, back in Easter. But here's a graph of, and everybody knows this. You can find this anywhere on the Internet. It's just very common knowledge. Like you look at Plato or Caesar's Gallic Wars or Sophocles, Obadiah the king. You have a 1,200-year time span between when it was written and when it uh, first found a copy. There's seven copies. And by the way, there are no originals of any of these. Maybe you didn't know that. There are no originals. By the way, there are no originals of the New Testament either. Only copies. And you think, well, that's terrible. There's never been. So we don't have the originals of Gallic Wars, but we have a time span of 10 copies, 1,000 years. And that's really good. And guess what? Scholars believe it's reliable. In fact, since I made this chart several years ago, now they have 250 copies of Gallic Wars. Now they have Homer's Iliad's the very best. Look at that. 500-year time span, they have 643. That has been updated to 1,800 fragments and copies of Homer's Iliad. You remember Homer's Iliad in English high school? Yeah. They consider that incredibly reliable. No scholar says we can't trust it. They say, oh, you can trust it completely. Now watch this. Here's the New Testament. You put the New Testament up. Look at that. We have over 24,000. Most scholars would say 42,000 copies within eight to 30 years of when it actually was written and when it happened. So think about what that means right there. I'll just give you a little insight. If it's within eight to 30 years, the others are 500, 1400 years, 1000 years. That means people were still alive that were at the events that the New Testament writers were writing about. And if you were there, you'd say, wait, 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 that didn't happen because I was there, right? Like if I stood up here and said, hey, remember in 2015 when the Lions won the Super Bowl? Remember that? Yeah, that's what you'd do. You'd laugh and go, dude, you're delusional. They didn't win the Super Bowl. They never will. I get it, right? That's what you'd say. Well, they're writing things that are circulating, and people are reading them like, wait, wait, wait. You said he changed water into wine at the wedding of Canaan? No, he didn't. I was there. But guess what? Nobody refuted anything written. Why? Because it was accurate. And you talk about reliable. It's like a, you know, nothing is in even the same category. Non-Christian scholars are saying nothing comes close to the Bible. I haven't even talked to you about archaeology. I haven't talked to you about the Dead Sea Scrolls. I haven't talked to you about the Talmudists and how they translated it and how they made sure it was accurate. I'm not even touching all that stuff. Just trust me on this. The Bible's reliable and it brings truth in your life. So when you pick this thing up and you need truth on any topic, it's here. And I never knew that growing up. I just thought I'd only talk about religious things. It talks about so many things that are part of our life. Okay, we gotta keep going. Second one. Second one is this. God's word is alive and brings life. It's reliable and brings truth, but it's also alive 
and brings life. What in the world do I mean by God's word is alive? Well, God's word says it's alive. The book of Hebrews, the writer says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even a dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What's he saying? <coughs> Excuse me. He's saying the word of God is not a dead book. It's a living book and it's active. What's that mean? You can read it and it'll penetrate like to your soul. You'll like, you'll think, man, this is like God is speaking directly to me in my situation. Anybody ever had that? Uh, that yeah. You can go hear a sermon. You're like, God's talking to me right now. I've had this happen for 30 years at Kensington. Almost every week, somebody would come up and go, how in the world did you know what I was going through? Your sermon was like directly in my life. I go, that wasn't me. That was the word of God and the spirit of God taking his written word to your situation. No, 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 it was you. No, it wasn't me. Don't ever give me. It's, that's what the word of God does. There are other books that can impact our life, but this one, it's like it, right? You read something, you're like, what just happened? This is like to the heart. Sometimes in a convicting way, sometimes in a powerful, motivating, I needed to, to remember that way, and it's gonna give me courage to step into this situation in my life. It's funny, I was, um, <clears throat> I was laying on the couch yesterday watching Michigan State, Indiana. Anybody watch that game? I was watching a lot of games yesterday, but it was sort of fun to lay there. And I'm not a big Sparty, but I want them to win because I'm in Michigan, right? And it was a tight game, right? So I'm laying there watching this. And the only people in my house now, I'm, I'm an empty nester, myself, my wife, and our dog, Duke. <laughs> That's it. So Ann gets on the computer behind me, and I start hearing all this stuff that she's watching some, some guy talk about something or whatever, and I'm watching a game, and I'm sort of annoyed, like, can you, but I didn't say anything, because I'm a nice husband, I just laid there, but I was like, kept looking, you know, that look, you ever do that? That really works. So finally, <laughs> finally she goes, and by the end of the game, it's like a tie game, and it's tight, right? And so I'm into it, and she goes, hey, you got to hear this, and she turns it up. I go, no, I don't want to hear that now. She goes, no, 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 you got to hear this. I go, honey, I don't want to hear that now. No, this is unbelievable. You got to hear this. And I should have never said this. I said, shut up. I don't want to hear that now. You never say ever in your life, shut up. I didn't mean like shut up, but I was just meant like keep it quiet. But it came out, shut up. And so I saw her get up and walk into the kitchen. You know what that means, right, guys? You're a dead man. That means, that's what that means. I'm in big trouble. And as she walks into the kitchen, I'm like, I didn't mean that. I'll I, I watch it. She goes, nope, too late. Walks off. And as she walked away, I haven't even told her this yet. She's going to hear this in a sermon. This is terrible. But as she walked away, a Bible verse came to my mind. How does a Bible verse come to your mind that you're not reading at that moment? You've memorized it. You've internalized it. You've studied it. God is because it's alive. It's not a dead thing. You've got to raise the dead. It is always alive and active. God can use it even if you're not looking at the text. He can bring it to your mind. And I didn't like this one. I didn't want this Bible verse to come into my mind as I watched my wife walk away. The Bible verse came into my mind was Ephesians 5.25. You man up men. You know what that means? Anybody? I'll give you the beginning of it. I hope many husbands know what it says. His husbands, love your wives as, as Christ loved the church. That's in the Bible. It's not a verse we like. Husbands, love your wives and just in case you're wondering what that looks like, I'll tell you what it looks like. As Christ loved the church, all you got to do is step back and go, how did Christ love the church? He died for the church. He gave up his rights for the church. He did whatever it took to make the church redeemed. 
And he says, Paul writes this, husbands, love your wives like that. So as Anne's walking through the kitchen, that's what comes to my heart. What is God doing? Penetrating to my soul. I mean, I'm looking at her walk through the kitchen. I'm thinking, this is the greatest gift God has ever given to me. And I just said, don't have time for you. And God is using his word to say, love her. And so I hit pause. The game, (laughs) the world we live in now, you can just pause it. I don't miss anything. And then you give me a look like that. It didn't even count. That counted, didn't it? And I went out there and made everything right. But here's the thing. That's how God uses his word. And I would have, I grew up in a church that I thought there's nothing in the Bible that would apply to relationships. Oh, yeah, there's a lot in the Bible that applies to relationships. Cautions, warnings, moves to make. That's a good move to make. By the way, there's stuff in there about women too, girls. It isn't just, oh, yeah, I want, I'm, you're hitting your husband right now. You hear that? That's the word of God. No, God's got to speak to your husband through his word, not through you. Anyway, so here's the thing. And I'll tell you this. I got, I got to show you something real quick that I think I want to invite you to that's really something because uh, we believe in marriage here. We believe God wants to heal and do amazing things in marriage. And you've heard Ann and I talk about date nights. We've created a date night for all of Kensington and the city of Detroit. Ann and I have this dream to bring the suburbs and the city together over marriage. And so a few months ago, I texted my buddy, Michael Jr. He's a comedian. He's traveling the world. And I said, will you come to Detroit and do a marriage night with us? In Detroit. So I talked to Pastor Van down at Second Ebenezer, and he said, I want you to use our building. We're going to do this. And so we're going to invite you to come to what we're calling Funny How Marriage Works, humor and help for your marriage. And this is for dating couples as well in Second Ebenezer on Sweetest Day. Huh? October 19th is Sweetest Day. We're going to give you an option to take your sweetheart out on a date uh, downtown with us. And then there's other options as well. I'll tell you after this video, here at Kensington, you can pick one of three options, but here's a, a really good one. I want to show you. This is what the night's going to look like. Watch this. So I do think working out is important. Uh, I was at the gym the other month. And, uh... One of the things we need as women, honestly, is affection. She says affection. I'm like... Sex? That sounds like affection to me. 35 years, I'm still, still learning. I was going to do some cardio, right? But they moved it upstairs. I ain't going up there, man. Please. After today, you never have to do this again. I'm talking to all my white friends. You never have to do this again. Here it is. The next time you meet a black person for the first time, you don't have to let that black person know that you know another black person. There's no need to color drop. Jesus is with me, and I feel like he's wanting to be here, in control. No, no, I never said that I would go there. Let me help you, Jesus. I'm trying to get this thing. Like, Lord, no, no. Like, don't do that. Have you ever done this? Ladies, I don't understand. I think wearing heels is like doing drugs. You do it to get high. You feel great while you're up there. You come down, it hurts, and you regret it. But then you do it again, don't you? And again, and again, and again. I think you have a problem. It's like we're little boys longing for someone to see us and notice how we work, how we sacrifice, and nobody sees it. And all they do is critique, and then your wife or somebody comes along and says, man, I see it, I notice. Oh my gosh, it brings life to the soul of your man, to the soul of your son. 
God has designed us to be on mission together, our relationship will other impact everybody we're around and show a piece of God to other people. They may even ask you, what do you have? I've never seen a marriage quite like this. Let me tell you, it's not us. It's him. We're a reflection of who we're trying to model. Yeah, so uh, come join us. It's really going to be a great night. It's actually only going to be at 7.30 unless we sell that one out. We'll add another one. But, uh, and you can go out in the lobby, go to the hub, and you can get a flyer. But if you remember, just go to funnyhowmarriageworks.com, and you can get your tickets there. But in your program today, just so you know this, there's uh, date night events. Uh, so that's, think about this. We've got Man Up, guys. Man Up will change your life. The next weekend, if you want, Sweetest Night, Funny How Marriage Works. Or if that doesn't work, the next week we got Danny and Amy Cox from our Troy campus doing a marriage night Friday at, or date night at Troy and Saturday at Orion. You can pick one of those. And it's really going to be a great night. And, and again, I just have a vision. And I think this is just the beginning of something in Detroit that will bring the city and the suburbs together. I see that church full of all kinds of the color palette. Jalen from our Troy campus is going to do music with us. It's going to be a beautiful night to say, let's get a vision for God wants to do a marriage and families in this city, and you can be a part of it, all right? So that's, that's it. And by the way, what are we going to do that night? We're going to take the Word of God and apply it to what? Marriage and relationships. That's what we're going to do in hopefully a fun way, but in a powerful way as well. And so here's the last thought. You know, first thought was the Bible is reliable and brings truth. The second one, it's active and brings life. This last one, I'm going to take the offering during this last one, but it's, it's simply this. God's Word is active, and it brings transformation. It's active, and it brings transformation. I just want to wrap up with that. But as I do, I just want to say this. Yesterday's going to come forward. They're going to receive the offering as I, as I wrap up this message. And I just want to say this about the offering. Thank you. As one of your founders and looking at how God has blessed us, you give. So many thousands of you give at Kensington. I just want to say thank you. And if you're brand new or you're somewhat new and you're thinking, man, I'd like to get in on this, that's how you do it. Most of us do it. Uh, online, digitally, it's safe and secure. That's how I do it. And I just want to say, man, you want to jump in it because you believe in the mission of this place? Join us because here's the thing. We are continually going to do what I'm talking about today. Pick up the Word of God and teach it because it brings transformation. You'll find out next week that one of the purposes of the Word of God is to reveal God's plan for our problem. But another purpose is very interesting. God wants to use the living Word, which is Jesus, combined with the written word, which is the word of God, the Bible, to change and transform your life. And there's one other thing God always uses. We talked about it for the last three weeks. You know what it was? People. If you're going to try and, you know, connect with Jesus through his written word all by yourself, all I can say is good luck. But if you get connected with other people, with Jesus, and start talking about this in a smaller setting, life change. Transformation. You know, it's interesting. Uh, a friend of mine I got to know as we did some marriage stuff around the country together, uh, Paul David Tripp, uh, did a video recently that I'm going to end the, uh, in this message with, his thoughts. He was talking about uh, a verse that many of us have heard if you've been in church. In fact, we sang it in the first song. The word will not return void. You ever heard that one? It goes out and it never comes back void. Where's that come from? You have any idea? Isaiah 55. Old Testament. Look what it says. It says, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth 
and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, here's the thing that Paul David said in this video. He says, here's the thing. I hear people quote that all the time. My word will accomplish his purpose. Nobody explains what the purpose is. It's like if I came to your house and said, I'm going to do what I purpose to do here, you'd be like, time out, dude. What do you want to do here? <laughs> What's your purpose? We read this verse, my word will accomplish his purpose, but nobody ever reads the rest of the passage. And by the way, whenever you read the Bible, read it in context. We'll talk about that week four. We talk about how do you interpret You got to read it in context. You need to pull up verses out of nowhere and say, this is what it means. No, what's the context? Here's the context. He goes on to say this. He says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now, some of you are doing what I always did in church right now. You're going, yeah, dude, that's why I don't get it. What does that mean? That's like, dude, I'm supposed to understand that. Do I have to have a, no, he says it. Here he goes. He's going to tell you right now. He says, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. All right, it's a strange illustration. The thorn will become a cypress. The briar will become a myrtle. What in the world is he talking about? Okay, stop for a minute and go, what does he mean? Well, you got to think what he's saying. Here's a picture of a thorn. He's saying a tree or a bush that looks like this, a thorn bush, is dead and scary, right? You don't want to get anywhere near that thing. You don't touch that thing. It's like, that looks lifeless. He says, when the water comes, it will take that and make it this, cypress. Here's a picture from the internet of a cypress. So the thorn bush goes from that to that. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. If I water a thorn bush, it'll be a bigger thorn bush. He goes, no, 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 you understand. That thorn bush is going to be transformed into something totally different. Anybody get it yet? Anybody connecting this strange illustration together? What's he saying? He's saying the word of God is like water to your soul. You go from this to something totally different. Anybody know what the New Testament says? You go from an old creature to a new creature. You go from dead and lifeless to life. You go from hopeless to hope. You go from powerless to power. How does that happen? Living word, Jesus, written word, word of God. Do you get it? Part of the purpose of the Word of God is transform your heart and soul. That's what the Word of God does. Now, some churches, they'd be standing up and cheering right now, but here's the thing. <laughs> that is life changing. It's like, I want my life to change. I want my life to change. You know what I'd say to you? Get in the Word. So many people come to church, the only time they hear the Word of God is when the preacher preaches it, and that's it. And they're like, why is my life not changing? I'll tell you why. You're not letting the water Produce fruit in your life. What's the water? Jesus himself. But this book, when's the last time you read this book? When's the last time you said, I'm going to become a student of this book? I remember the year I came to Christ, junior in college, the man who discipled me, a senior student, by the way, just another student said to me the first time we met, he said, Dave, let me tell you something very clearly. A man of God is a man of the word. I'm going to teach you this word. I'm like, please because I don't understand it. He's like, you're going to become a man of the word. You can't be a man of God, can't be a woman of God if you don't know this book. And if you never spend time in it, good luck on transformation. But if you do, God says, I will transform your life. Because the word of God points one place. You know where? Jesus, 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 the most wonderful, powerful name ever. And when you encounter Jesus, 
and then you start to internalize his written word, he changes your life. He transforms you. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but the last place I ever thought I'd be on Friday two days ago was spending the day backstage with Kanye West. It's a long story, but I got invited by his pastor literally to walk beside them all day and, and, and then to the Fox that night with him and Kim, his wife, and their kids and talk to them about Jesus because Kanye gave his life to Jesus in April. And talking to him and ministering to him with his pastor, Adam, I would say to you, it's real. But I don't know, just like you, I have the same fear. Will it last? And I would say pray for him. But I'll tell you something that Kanye told me, and, his, and he pointed at his pastor, Adam. He said, the reason this man's my life, because every time I go to him and ask for help, he does one thing every single time. You know what it was? Every time. He never answers a question without going, Kanye, here's what it says. And Kanye accepts it as the word of God. And I literally watched. I don't know if they released his new album, Friday Night at the Fox. Do you know what the title is? Jesus is King. Every word, I'm like, dude, settle down. In your face. These people are jumping around. Do like, you realize what he's saying? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Adam says, yeah, I was in the studio. And I said, what are you trying to say? That's in Philippians 2. You could say it this way. And boom, there it is. Every song is blatantly, it's like God is doing something and he's doing it with the living Jesus and the written word. And I watch just in a small little thing. They're doing the same thing today, right now in New York that they did here Friday. And Adam's preaching the gospel. I was brought in. They said, you may have to preach the gospel today. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Adam did it instead, which is great. But here's the thing. I got a glimpse again of how the word of God transforms people. And he wants to do that in your life. So we're going to end today singing a song. But here's what I want to say as I close my message. I want to challenge you. Man to man, man to woman, man to boy and girl, from me to you. I want to challenge you something. Because the day I realized in college that this was the word of God and I need to become more than just a Bible guy but a man of the word... And trust me, I didn't know where the book of Malachi was compared to the book of Revelation when I started this journey. You think, oh, you've always known this. I did not. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't go to Bible school. I didn't go to Sunday school. I didn't know anything about it. It was scary, and I stayed away from it. And now this is a source of my life and my transformation. So ever since that day, there has not been a day in my life that I haven't read this text. Sometimes digitally, sometimes not a day. Why? Because I get brownie points with God? No. Because I know the reason he gave it to us is to point to his son and to transform our lives from a dead life to a living life, from no joy to joy, from no hope to hope, from no power to power. And so I want to say to you, and I'm going to ask you to stand if you're in, and here's what, here's what the challenge is. Are you willing to stand up today and say, okay, I'm in. I'm going to start reading this thing daily. I'm going to give you a plan. It's called the Proverbs reading plan. You know what that is? Book of Proverbs. Next week, it's going to be part of our sermon. The book of Proverbs is a book of poetry in the middle of the Old Testament, and it's wisdom. And guess how many there are? 31. There's 30, 31 days in a month. So you pick the day you're on and read that proverb. So here's the deal. You can take today off. You can take tomorrow off if you want. 
October 1st is Tuesday. Start October 1st, go to Proverbs 1, read it, say, God, speak to me. I'd say that before you read it, say, God, speak to me. Open it up, write down what he says. Here's my question, who's in? If you're in, stand up. You're not standing up to, to impress somebody beside you. You're standing up to say, God, I'm gonna become a man, a woman of the word. I've never really taken time to say, I'm gonna spend five minutes or 15 minutes or two minutes, but I'm gonna open my YouVersion app or I'm gonna get my Bible and I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna get a pen out. I'm gonna take some notes and I want you to transform my life and I know you need to use your word to do that, so I'm in. So way to go, all right? There's nobody gonna hold you accountable about except yourself, but start today if you want or start tomorrow or if you wanna wait till Tuesday, okay, you can wait till Tuesday and start with Psalm 1, I mean Proverbs 1. And the rest of you go ahead and stand up because we're gonna sing a song. That Jay, uh, that um, geez, that Aaron's gonna introduce. I say Jalen's gonna be at our thing. Aaron's gonna introduce uh, a beautiful song that talks about transformation. <laughs>